0: Hey, good morning, my name's Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at HV. Let me hit you with uh, a few announcements real quick. Uh, Next week, we are kicking off our month of prayer and fasting that we call Awaken. Um, We were gonna have all these packets for you today that that talked about what we're aiming for as a collective church and how you can participate as an individual, but Nashville turned into the frozen tundra. Uh, so next week, you will get those packets. Um, for now, what I would encourage is to begin anticipating what that month of prayer and fasting might look like for you. And so it it'd probably help if you took five or 10 minutes this week, um, literally, like set a timer, 10 minutes, and just ask the Lord, Lord, in this month that's coming, um, I want to give you an extra special, unique month of devotion. And so is there anything that you're calling me to to put aside? That's fasting, right? You stop eating and instead feast on the bread of heaven. Or, or maybe some of you go, like, I'm, I'm not quite in a, in a space mentally for food fasting, but maybe it's going to be technology or, or something that is of your daily life that you're going to go, I'm going to remove that and in place of that, I'm gonna devote my life to prayer and just chasing after the heart of God. So no matter how you participate in the month of fasting that's, that's coming our way, I would just encourage, give it all you got. I mean, just give it all you got. Uh, there, there's no like success fail in praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. Just seek the Lord really hard uh, in February. You know what I'm saying? Like lay whatever aside needs to be laid aside to pursue the Lord, but more on that later. Um, this year, If you don't know this or if you've forgotten, I want to remind you of Matthew 5, verse 14, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them that they are to be as a city that is set on a hill. In other words, he's saying, hey, if my people, like my people that call me Lord, like my followers, they are to be distinguished from the culture around them, to be light in the dark, to be life among death. Okay, so um, that's important. If you're from downtown, what up? Welcome, enjoy this one Sunday. Uh, I don't wanna steal from downtown. Those are my brothers and sisters over there. So, you know, have fun at church next week, but welcome here. But just so you know, as a church, that's, that's like our anthem verse is, Lord, we wanna be the uncompromised body of Christ. And just being, let's just confess it, we're really good at compromising and diluting the words of Jesus to fit our lives. And our prayer this year is, God, will you help us take real steps toward being the pure and holy body of Christ? I mean, think about that. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ, to live and speak and act as Jesus lives and speaks and acts. That's what we're praying for. We're taking a swing at that through a series in James chapter four. That's where we're going to be today. We're looking at James 4, 1 through 10, and the the title of the series is Draw Near. And it's all about this radical promise in James 4 that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I mean, it's wonderful. Wow, all I gotta do to get access to God is draw near, and he draws near, and, and there you go. And before and after that amazing promise, there's some descriptors that we must pay close attention to. Because those descriptors, those invitations, those questions are what are what is going to make the fulfillment of the promise possible. It's important we understand that it's not as simple as just draw near to God; and He'll draw near to you. It's like there's some things that must happen in our hearts to even draw near to God to begin with. But when we do these things, when we draw near, He will draw near. This is the promise. Okay, and so uh, this morning, if you're taking notes. The title of the sermon is A Purified Prayer Life. A Purified Prayer Life. I'm gonna read James four, one through three. Then I'm gonna introduce our four points today. And if you can't tell, we're just gonna get right to it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. This is what we covered last week. You desire and do not have, so you murder or hate. You covet and cannot obtain it, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so today we're gonna to talk about a purified prayer life. And and just to to preface real quick, this is about your heart of hearts when you hit your knees. There's plenty of things about prayer I'm not going to cover today. I'm not going to talk about prayer requests and how all that works. Today is a conversation about posture, about why you pray. It's an important conversation, and admittedly, it's really directed at those that call themselves followers of Jesus, that call Jesus Lord, that would testify that the grace of God has saved their life, and that his blood covers them in his righteousness, and that you stand before a holy God, a son, and a daughter. This is to you, okay, primarily. Um, it will be important that you are defenseless today, if that's you, if you're a follower of Christ, that that as I'm talking, don't assume I'm giving you the words of God, but maybe assume God wants to speak through his word. And so what I would encourage you to do is have this ongoing prayer dialogue with the Lord, even as I speak. And if God grabs your attention to feel full permission to get lost with him. I mean, if you need to whip out a pen and paper or your notes app and just start writing what the spirit is stirring in you, I'd rather you do that um, than try to pay attention to me, right? And so just listen for the Lord. Um, I think he's going to, I think he's going to be saying some stuff today um, to you, and it may not come out of my mouth. It may just come into your spirit. Okay, Um, all right, here's the four points. In your prayer life, the first point we're gonna cover is you don't ask. The second point is you ask wrongly. The third point, how to pray. And the fourth point, start today, okay? You don't ask, you ask wrongly how to pray, start today, So last week, we talked about, you know, there's passions at war within us that are leading to external conflicts, that there's these met and unmet desires that are unchecked and without a real holy filtration system, and they're resulting in conflicts around us. And we're quick to finger point and blame, but truthfully, James is going, no, 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 no. look within you. There's some things that need to come before God that need to be in check. And if you don't Check them, like it will lead to sin. It will lead to idolatry. It will lead to all these things. At the end of verse two, you may have noticed last week, there was a part we didn't cover. That's for this week. He says, all these unchecked passions and desires, all these things leading to all these negative results. And he says, you don't have because you don't ask. Point blank period. You do not have because you are not consulting the Lord about any of it. He's talking to to the dispersed church. These are followers of Christ hearing this letter read aloud to them. And he's saying, son of God, daughter of God, covered in the blood of Jesus, you do not have because you are not praying. For James, you must understand, like picture a quill in his hand and him just pressing the feather to his forehead, just frustrated, you know, like, You don't have because you're not praying. Child of God, you must pray. You must. Or you're disagreeing with yourself, your own faith. You must consult the Lord. Until you see Jesus face to face and he physically wipes away every tear and eradicates all pain, sin, hurt, mourning, you must consult the Lord with your thoughts, with your desires, with your direction on a very regular basis. Prayer must be one of the most normal things about your life, child of God. If prayer is not one of the most normal things about your life, child of God, I need you to hear the alarm bells of the Holy Spirit with all the love, grace, and compassion going, Mayday, you are not consulting the Lord your God. You are not asking. With friends, we call these conversations. When I'm talking to you, I get to know you by having conversations. Prayer is just the holy version of that. It's conversations with God, learning to talk and listen to the creator himself. It's a holy dialogue. And when Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, he says something that has an assumption baked into it. He says, when you pray, the assumption, you're praying. Jesus himself looking at you, hey, when you pray, do this, because you're definitely praying. Right? I mean, right? Jesus looking you in the eyes when you pray because you're definitely doing that, right? Yeah. Believers in scripture pray. Prayer is not optional. It's not an accessory. It's not just like a helpful thing when you need it. It's mandatory. Sons and daughters of God, prayer is mandatory for you. And not in this checklist type of way. Like, hey, you better pray or else. No, look, no, no. Why would you let that interfere with this conversation? Prayer is mandatory for friendship with God. To know God, you must pray. To know his voice, you must pray. To know his will, you must pray. To be in line with his purposes, you must Pray. Well, how much should I pray? More. More. If it is on your agenda in 2024 to pray less, change your agenda. Pray more this year. If it is on your agenda to keep it the same, change it. Pray more this year. I promise you, you need more prayer. January of every new year, until you die, one of your agendas should be, I wanna pray more this year. I wanna learn how to pray this year. Never assume you have learned how to pray. You have not. A God of infinite wisdom, love, grace, compassion, purpose, glory has more to teach you about himself, about yourself, and about his purposes for this world. I promise you, there's more. Learn how to pray. Church, if you are a Christian, you must, you must devote yourself to prayer. I said this last week, might as well be a mirror right here and me just preaching to an audience of one, myself, because straight up, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm gonna rebuke me later. Never mind, I'm gonna rebuke me later. Group number two, you ask wrongly. So group number one, you're not even praying. Like, wake up, church. We got to pray. And if that statement makes you question if you're loved and accepted and have the grace of God, we got to graduate from that. You have been bought with the blood of Christ. For the rest of this teaching, don't be concerned about your identity. You are loved. Nothing says I love you more like I died for you so that you might know me. You are loved. Okay. You ask wrongly. A good question That we gotta be asking ourselves, why are you praying? So this is to the group that is praying, to whatever occasion, however often. You are praying at some point in your week or month or year. Now you gotta ask yourself, why? The next time you hit your knees in your prayer closet that needs to exist, that prayer closet, that bath mat, that bedside, that car ride wherever that place that you constantly pray that should exist and if it doesn't create it and the next time you're praying in that appointed place of prayer ask yourself and answer slowly why am i here why why am i talking whose agenda <laughs> whose purposes Whose dreams? Whose will am I contending for? Am I convincing you to be interested in what I'm interested in? Or am I trying to learn how to be interested in what you are interested in? Which one is it? Philippians 3, you've heard me say this. My house church has heard me be consumed with this verse, but it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When you ask yourself, why am I, like child of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, when you pray, when you ask yourself, why am I praying right now? Work that out with fear and trembling. Answer, slowly. Be cautious. When you sit before a holy and perfect God, what is your motivation? And I'm concerned, but the answer to this question, because my fear is that many people are like me and that selfish incentive is beginning to plague or has long been plaguing your prayer life. That some of the anxiousness or fear or distraction or concerns or desires that frustrate you in your prayer life are actually rooted in selfish desire. God's not giving you what you want, how you want it, when you want it, and you have problems with that. The problem started way before that. Write this down, please. Before you question God's distance, question your desperation. In your prayer closets, in your places of prayer, whatever your experience of prayer is, before you question his distance, question your desperation How desperate are you? Not how desperate are you to fulfill your dreams. Not how desperate are you to finally get the answer you've been asking for. How desperate are you to give the living God glory and honor and praise? Psalm 96, eight says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that he is due. Please know this, when you hit your knees and you praise his name, you did him no favors. You did him exactly as he deserved and he deserved more, every time. When you worship the Lord, when you humble yourself and you acknowledge the, the gap between humans and God himself, that is not a, oh, I really worship good just then. That is a God. You're worthy. Teach me how to do it more. How desperate are you that his presence would fill your prayer closet for no other sake than to have communion with your creator? That's all I want, Lord. Whether, I, Regardless of circumstance, make me poorer than poor, sicker than sick. If I got you, I got enough. I just want you, Lord. You're gonna get me through the circumstances, just give me you. I don't need the job, I want the job, I don't need the job, I want the spouse, I don't need the spouse, I want the child, I don't need the, I guess I'm getting into deep, deep, deep stuff, but I'm telling you, Christ is enough, his presence is enough, and we have diluted what is available in the prayer closet that some of this stuff sounds offensive, but it should sound hopeful. The presence of God is enough. In that prayer closet, why are you on your knees? Are you desperate for him and him alone? I promise you, there is a mirror right here. God has been rebuking me. And I'm concerned for the state of prayer in this church because Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. Is Jesus a liar? Where is it? I'm convinced that the harvest is a guarantee when the church is praying with proper motivation. A church consumed with the glory of God and the purposes of God will, for a fact, see harvest. Lost people declaring Jesus Lord, geniuses who know intellectually that God is not real, speaking out loud, God has spoken and I am his. The wounded, the traumatized, the broken, all the church wounds, give me all the deconstruction. When a church pure in heart prays for the will of God, for the glory of God, puts our lives in his hands, we will see salvation. That's harvest. A lack of harvest and I know there's seasons, so I just, just just like Spirit help us discern, but I, I'm just, a lack of harvest is on some level an indictment on a lack of prayer. I, I don't know how else to, I, I, I'm just convinced of this. A lack of harvest on some level is an indictment on our lack of fervent God's glory alone, purposes in our lives alone, like it's a lack of prayer not just quantity of prayer, but quality of prayer. Not a lack of prayer request, a lack of proper prayer request. A church that's praying like this, we would see so much joy. I spoke to Insecurity last last week, We would see robust, this would not send us into this weird, sad, gloomy, guilt-driven, insecure church. A church that prays would walk in here so confident because they know the rock they stand on. It's a rock and no storm of life can shake them. Like, geez, man, he's so, I just, I I sell him so short, you guys, If this Bible is true, guys, if this is true, and we're not all actually, legitimately insane, weird, cultish people. If this is actually true, please agree with me, there is more in the prayer closet. Please, can you agree with me? I don't even like how timid this feels. And if this just feels like a chastising, like, dude, I love this church, I know we're growing. And some of you are here right now and you're weak and you're downtrodden and all you need to know is, man, God is the God of the prodigal son and he's not even waiting for you to get to the house. He's waiting to run out to you, bear hug you and throw a party and tell you how much love he has for your life. And we need the Holy Spirit to tell who that is. But some of you need to hear this. Stop taking it easy on yourself. Pray more. We're confusing laziness and legalism. You're just being lazy. You're being idolatrous. It's okay. I'm the poster child. God has had to just like highlight in me, you are an idolater. You love things more than me. You love your own voice more than my voice. He has told me, I understand that about me. A threat on my walk with Jesus is I love my voice more than I love his voice. And I mean that literally. I have ideas, and I'm like, oh, it's a good idea. I like the way that sounded. Before I've ever went, God, was that from you? Because I don't want to speak unless you're saying it. This is happening today. Like, this is a here and now battle that I'm fighting. I, I'm not speaking of something that I've overcome and God delivered me from. He is letting me know, you really love how you sound. I'm like, I do. That's true. There are desires that I long for in my life far more than the desires of God. And God has recently let me understand, do you know that I am not okay with that? In any way, shape, or form, where your motivations go unchecked by my motivations, where your purposes and plans go unchecked by my purposes and plans, when you hit your knees, what are your motivations? Why are you here? You know what Jesus says in John four thirty four. He just witnessed to the Samaritan woman and she just got turned revival preacher, saves the whole town. The disciples, knowing that Jesus has not eaten in a while, come to a logical conclusion, he needs to eat. They try to offer him food and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And we hear that, and it sounds so absurd that we dismiss it. Let me tell you something. That is a a call to you and a call to me. What Jesus is actually doing right there is giving a vision for your walk with him. Do you know there is a version of you that will be built in your prayer closet that is so in love with the purposes and the will of God, not just for your life, for the world around you, for the good of those around you and for the glory of God alone, for he does not abide with glory thieves, for his glory alone, there is a version of you that is so hungry and so thirsty to see his will and his purposes come true that not even food takes priority over obedience. That's a real thing. And that version of you is not like guilt-driven and shame-infested. That version of you is alive. I'm telling you, that version of you is free. <laughs> Needs nothing. Is free. Our hearts must be pure in our prayer closet for any of this to be possible. The original version of this teaching was just gonna leave us there and we were gonna confess and repent, but I figured let's give some positive examples of how to pray but we're going to end with confession and repentance because I think if you're like me, there's some apologies that are owed to the Lord about how we have viewed prayer and how we have accessed prayer and all of that. But first, how to pray. Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus says, pray like this. So, extremely helpful and timely moment right here. Jesus himself teaches us. You guys know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy, mm-hmm, thy, on earth, is it, uh-huh. All right, we can stop there because I'm not gonna go to the second half. <laughs> but you should, because it's the whole prayer. View each phrase as a checkpoint. First, our Father. Groundbreaking, you, I, I've taught on this before. Groundbreaking language. Jesus saying, "When you talk to God, say Father." They would have been like, mm, "That's a little irreverent, Jesus." But you are God, so okay. Our Father. And you, ne- please hear me. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You will never graduate from this lesson ever. Let not one prayer of yours be prayed before you have addressed the terms of the relationship. When you talk to God, you're talking to your Father. Some of you right now have heard things that I've said so far through the wrong lens because you have yet to understand he is actually and legitimately your very loving father and he cares for you. You must never graduate from that point. I mean, pray right now, Father, for the next 50 years, will you help me to always remember that you are my father? There's a tricky thing that can happen in Christianity where you're a Christian for so long, you forget he, it's the same grace that it was that got you here, like That moment you came to Jesus, oh my gosh, forgiveness is available. That's the same grace 50 years from now. He's always your father who loves you. That is your identity. That is your birthright. Jesus purchased that. That's not your idea. You're not just coddling yourself. Jesus said it. Like, for God so loved the world that he sent his son for you. So that Matthew 6 prayer, our father who art in heaven, that means all around. So in that prayer closet, don't move on until he is your father and you have addressed that. And then secondly, that he's here. If you're like me, you like to pray like he's not there. That's just routine, empty prayer. Man, don't, don't pray anything until you've acknowledged he is actually with you right now, moving. That's not just your imagination. God's with you. I mean, that's a great, I mean, if you just do those first two steps this whole year, you're in a good spot. Our father who art in heaven. My father who is here. Sounds good. Have a great day with those two facts. Hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are set apart. Your name is not like my name. It's not like my daughter's name. Not like my wife's name. I love all you fine folks. Not like your names. Way above it. Way better. You are holy. You are worthy of praise and worship. My Father who is here, I announce you as holy. I just acknowledge that aside from your grace, I have no business being in your presence alive. You are holy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how you pray, right there. God, before I get into my stuff, let me just say it. My Father, who is here, who is holy, your will. That'll send you on decades of sanctification. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And conveniently, I'm on earth. Look at me. My feet are right here on earth. And Father, where I find my feet, may I see your will be done. Where my feet are, may your glory be. Wherever I am, whatever business meeting, whatever Uber from the airport, whatever grocery store, whatever errand I'm running, chore I'm doing, bed I'm laying in, wherever my physical body is, Lord, hear my cry, your will alone. May your purposes Come to fruition through me, Lord. Not my house church leader, not my pastor, not my brother, sister, mother, father, son. Me, God, I'm your servant. Send me, I'll go where my feet are. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus didn't even say kind of, sorta. I do the best you can. Your will be done on earth, almost like it's in heaven, you know? Jesus' standard for your prayer life is I want your will literally, 100%, pure. I want it to pass through my life right here, right now, until I see you face to face. This is the standard. Think about uh, Mark 14. I love Jesus because he does all the stuff that he tells you to do. Garden of Gethsemane, if you've been here for a few years, you already know this is my favorite prayer ever. Jesus describes himself as anxious to the point of death. First words out of his mouth in the garden, Father, Abba. Then he says, remove this cup from me, for the cup was bitter and scary and daunting and intimidating and anxiety-driven. Ends the prayer very simply, not my will, your will be done. If your will is my death, then I'm dead. And we wanna dilute that. (laughs) why because it's uncomfortable I don't want to die are you kidding me I got a baby I want to see that girl I don't want to see her get married because that's going to be a conflict of interest for me but I I, want to watch her get old on some level in all seriousness I don't want to die what does Jesus say if it's your will I know that you have your glory and the good of the world in store. So your will be done. Everything in me wants to dilute the lesson in that that prayer. I even told a joke when I told myself I would not tell jokes today because I had this tendency, I mean, I talked to you guys about it, I had this tendency to try to alleviate tension because I'm scared about the thoughts you make me thinking about how heavy this might feel. And I'm so nervous for you to feel like shame and guilt or hurt, maybe you need to hurt a little bit. Like if sin or idolatry is preventing us from praying like this, maybe we need to hurt. You know, if I lost someone I loved and you tried to rush my grieving, I would know instinctively, hey, I need to grieve this. We understand that, but the minute God starts to rebuke us and we start feeling the sting, we want to rush past the grief of it? No. We're going to get there, but James says, no, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Like, it's okay to be sad. If your prayer life has been infected, that's all right. Say you're sorry. Let it hurt a little bit. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples who have been discipled by Jesus have been arrested and threatened by the same people that killed Jesus they're released, they head back to their camp, their squad, here's what they pray for. They've been threatened to death. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. These disciples are so hungry and so thirsty for the glory of God and for the will of God that passed through their lives that the living Holy Spirit shook the place. If that doesn't say I am honored by these prayers, when the people of God are motivated by the purposes of God, God shows up. In other words, he draws near. When the people of God are motivated by the purposes of God, God shows up. I promise. This city set on a hill that Jesus talks about, this Acts 2 church that's remarkably generous, incredibly unified, Worshiping, loving sound teaching, giving to anyone that has need, breaking bread, growing in friendship, baptizing daily, people coming to Jesus daily. I promise you, underneath that Acts 2 church was a church that was hungry and thirsty for God to get all the glory and for His purposes to come to fruition in their personal lives. That's how it goes. (sighs) I really struggle with tone of voice today. I don't like sounding like this. I grew up Southern Baptist. This is the only way I ever used to preach. I just sounded mad the whole time, even though I wasn't. I'm not mad. And even if I was, like, you don't have to listen to me. What's he mad about? But I do feel, and it's easy to to, to worship emotion I just know we need more prayer. And, and we need prayer that is accurate to the Bible. It makes zero sense that we would take the biblical description of prayer and posture of prayer and surrender and God's glory alone version of prayer and then somehow morph it into some version that just coddles and soothes us every day of our lives and helps our dreams come true for our sakes. I mean, that makes zero sense. Jesus, die to yourself. I mean, how else do you wanna translate that phrase? Like, come and die. Can you make that anything else other than let go of your will and take on his? Like, there is just, there's no way to really water that down. Death is so absolute, you know what I mean? You don't kinda die. So if we're gonna start today, And this is is exactly when I would start, is right now. Here's some encouragement and some instruction. I don't know if you're gonna feel encouraged, but it is encouragement. Because if you want a biblical prayer life, it is on the table. God is invested in giving you that prayer life. He loves you. First, spend some time with him confessing and repenting. And just sit in it. Having sin and being guilty is not a threat unless it goes unconfessed. But any sin confessed is not a threat. It has finally been placed in the hands of someone who can heal and redeem and forgive. Confess your sins. Any sins, confess them. But specifically, how have you viewed prayer? And just talk to the Lord about it. He knows the answer. He needs you to know the answer. He knows. And any way that you have viewed prayer that is not in line with scripture, tell him and tell him you're sorry. Let him hear everything. Sit there as long as you need. You may need to sit and I'm sorry for how I've been praying for the next few weeks. And you don't need to feel guilty about that or weird about that. You may just seem to be sorry for a while. Maybe God is gonna build some things in your soul if you will allow yourself to grieve appropriately what you've turned your prayer life into. But when you're ready to transition, begin praying ambitious prayers for revival, renewal. God, will you bring life to my prayer life? Jesus, you promised life and life abundantly So logically, prayer should be a place where I would encounter abundant life. Please bring revival and renewal to my prayer life, just me and you, God. I might preach on this next week. I can't quite decide. But Jesus talks about praying in secret and your father will reward you. God, I want those rewards because that's not greedy. Jesus promised them. What were you meaning you'll reward private prayers? What did that even mean? Because you also tell us not to store up treasures on earth. So like, what rewards are we talking about? It must be rewards of the soul. Like, God, will you bring revival to my prayer closet? I want the rewards that you're talking about. I want deep relationship with you, God. I want you to actually be my best friend. I actually want to hear your voice for your glory and for the sake of those around me. I actually want to intercede for my neighbors. I actually want to get visions on behalf of my community. I actually want to pray for the lost and mean it and be hungry to see them come to know Jesus, Lord. Will you revive my prayer life? Some of you have been Christian for 15 years, and this year, God is for the first time really gonna teach you how to pray, and it's gonna be freaking awesome. Y'all, prayer is awesome. It's awesome. Go read Revelation. That dude was on a heavenly trip. Peter gets visions. I mean, weird visions. Teaching about what foods are clean and unclean. Why? He was devoted to prayer. The Holy Spirit comes down, tongues of fire. That's the birth of the church. Why? They sat in a room and they prayed for it and didn't move until something shook. And it shook. Pray for revival in your prayer closet. And if you don't know where to start, start in Matthew 6. And for the whole year, you can do this. Each phrase, a checkpoint, our Father. You meditate on our Father this whole year, you're better for it. You will know God differently. He will speak to you differently when you become well acquainted with the fact that he is your heavenly Father. So for communion... I just want to invite you to to talk to the Lord, chocker. (laughs) We we just didn't pray for communion, you know. It's like, so i got three questions for you. Um, I think we need to talk to the Lord and search your heart. If you need to come sit up here, if you need some more elbow room, we're packed in here, move around. Confess. And if it's confessing, God, I don't even want to pray, then just spend some time talking to God about why you don't like praying. That's a good prayer, man. Better to be transparent and honest before God than like fake. That's not even prayer. If you've got struggles, if you've got a strong fleshly desire and you don't want the will of God, you want your will, just talk to him about that. But take some time to confess before the Lord. Repent. Ask for his mercy and grace. Ask him to help you pray the way he wants you to pray. We're gonna give you like 10 minutes. Then we'll come up and worship.